0: In interest of time we're going to uh, the first Thessalonians 5 and as you can tell I uh, changed out the gospel lesson which was once again focused on the work of John the Baptist which I think we covered but we're going to the end of first Thessalonians in chapter 5 where we're getting instruction in Christian living which will help us to answer the question what is readiness for Christ's coming look like? And so we'll read these words of instruction that Paul gives to the church. Starting at verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in high regard in love because of their work, Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Thus far the reading from god's holy word if you want to mark this section we're going to come back to it for the sermon time I invite you to turn back into scriptures to first thessalonians 1 and if you'd like to follow the preacher and in, in the bible uh, that's in the book of acts that's called the noble work uh, so you should never uh, put complete trust in uh, pastor you should always check out the scripture and we're going to have prayer Lord without the help of your spirit we're not going to have great benefit from studying the scripture but we pray that your spirit would come to us that your word would not return void but would accomplish what you've sent it to do. And we pray that it would be a a blessing and a help to us. And we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As you read through the letters to the church of Thessalonica, uh, you see that Paul has much to say about the second coming of Christ. And in the season of Advent, which comes from a Latin word, adventus, meaning coming or arrival, uh, we are thinking about the first coming of Christ and we're remembering his second coming in glory. And so Paul is giving the church of the Thessalonians uh, instruction uh, about the second coming of Christ, and there's a lot of it here in these two letters. And in the opening chapter, uh, of course, these are be a man-made chapter, man-made designation. The opening of the letter, uh, in uh, verses of uh, four to six, uh, Paul is remembering. Uh, The response of this group of people to his preaching. Now, in some churches, uh, there was a good response. And remember, Paul had this mission to go to some place where there were uh, no one had gone before. And so he went into these various places as missionaries. Uh, He and uh, Silas here that mentioned in the opening part, and Timothy, uh, they would, uh, and Barnabas, uh, John Mark, on the missionary teams, and in these uh, ch- a church like Corinth, for example, uh, there were times when Paul didn't get a very good reception, but here uh, he had a, a tremendous reception uh, when. And the receptions would vary in the community. Some some hated him when he came. There was one town that stoned him and left him for dead. In Philippi, he was put in in, in stock, stocks and and whipped before that happened. But here at Thessalonica, we have this reception mentioned in verses four to six, he is confident that God has chosen uh, these brothers and sisters, that they are in fact loved by God because of the result uh, when his, uh, of his work that the gospel was received by them. It came to them, not simply with the words of the preacher, but it came with the the power of the Holy Spirit. And it came with deep conviction. So when they heard the gospel, when they heard that Jesus came down from heaven as a son of God who who taught, uh, taught us how to live, who lived a perfect life and went to the cross and died for our sins and rose again, they received that message with With joy and they they had this conviction that they were sinners and here God had redeemed them with the blood of Christ and so Paul is remembering this and he says in verse uh, verses 6 and 7 that they became imitators of Paul Uh, even though there was suffering they became imitators of Paul and of the Lord what they learned about Jesus They they followed in the footsteps of Christ. And so in verse 7, he said, You became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So here was a model church. Remember a couple weeks ago I said that, you you read through the churches of the New Testament, you wouldn't want to be the pastor of some of them. But in Philippi, that was a good group to, to pastor. But here would be the best. This was a model church. If you wanted to see what a healthy church would look like, you could go to the church in Thessalonica. And Paul said they were a model to all the believers in the region. And the Lord's message rang out from from this group of people, not only in the region of Macedonia and so forth, but he said, your faith has become known everywhere. Everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. I I think that's not an exaggeration at all. And that is true of this church, and we're faithful that people speak of this church in all sorts of various places, even in various countries of the world. Here, uh, Paul is speaking of what's taking place there. And so we see that their Christian faith was renowned, so we do not need to say anything about it. Uh, these other people report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. They had a complete change of life. their former life was one of idolatry. They didn't serve the true God they they served other gods they served created things, but now their life is completely different. They turn to God and turn to uh, his salvation and the way of life that Christ taught, and they're waiting for the return of Jesus, as a church should. And so their Christian faith was renowned, and we have then uh, this introduction to chapter 5 to the conclusion which is the actual text for today, how to live for Christ in the Christian community, how to be ready for his coming. And we see that without the cross of Christ, without the cross of Jesus, these instructions are going to fall in deaf ears. If you're not saved by grace, saved through the cross, you read these instructions, you're not going to be able to carry them out but if you're a Christian, here's what we need to do. Verses 12 to 13, Now we ask you, brothers, respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. When we think of this, we, have to, we realize that we have to, we have to maintain... A Christian attitude toward church workers. I think of uh, one of the reunions of my wife's family and they had a, an uncle in the former generation named uh, Hessel and uh, as they reflected on him he had a word that he would use too frequently in conversation and they said Uncle Hessel would when he was talking about stuff And wanted to make a point, he'd always maintained this and he'd maintained that. And they said he was always maintaining. And when you think of a a little kid, farm kid, you think of, you know, the maintainer going around. It means to preserve from failure or decline, to keep in an existing state. And we need to maintain this attitude of respect for those who work hard among us and an appreciation for. Uh, church workers the first session meaning I attended as adult in my home church I went just back uh, just before going back to seminary uh, the third year and I had been at Bible camp with my home pastor and other pastors and and church workers uh, for a week and my home pastor had been gone about two to three hours because the camp was nearby a former church and he wanted to visit some people. And he was away, it didn't cause any problem, but someone in my home church uh, had passed away and the family was very impatient, trying to find him immediately in a day when there were no cell phones. And so this controversy uh, was remembered at the session meeting and the elders called the pastor in a way I thought was completely wrong and I thought to myself is this what I got to look forward to as a pastor I sure hope not and an honest truth I haven't had to experience it very much in uh, the decades I've been here but some people do and this is wrong in uh, Psalm 15 the person who can live on the Lord's hill and worship him is one who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord and that's just naturally not what people do they often uh, by nature sin nature try. they fall into disrespecting uh, people that are actually doing the best they can in the church and so the apostle says Uh, Respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. And you have to realize that the devil wants to take these people out, and he wants the church members to hate the officers of the church. That way, nothing can happen for sure. And I remember uh, back uh, over 20 years ago, after a public event, and individual who was not a church member uh, was complaining about me and my presence to another individual who was a church member and this uh, lady stopped this person and said wait a minute you're talking to the wrong person Uh, this this man's been my pastor for 17 years Uh, my mouth dropped open i mean i couldn't believe that kind of response and this person didn't either uh, they were really taken aback. Well, in the military, they have a, a, a saying, uh, you know, that they're gonna watch your back. Uh, I, they have a saying, uh, I have your six, or something like that, and it refers to uh, back in the day when uh, World War I fighter pilots, uh, you know, the 12 o'clock is high or ahead of you, and the six o'clock position, your tail, is uh, what they were talking about, that they're not going to let somebody shoot you down from the back. And so in the church, we're to be like that too. We're to have this loyalty that we're not going to uh, speak badly of one another if something doesn't go our way uh, initially. Uh, so Paul talks about this. Respect those who are work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you? That word "admonish" has some sort of a idea of giving instruction that might be um, a corrective, and it's easy for people just uh, turn away from that. But we're called to receive that instruction and to have a high regard of those people because of the work that God has given them to do and so we are seeing this call to replace arguing criticism derogatory comments to replace that with christian love and respect hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work live in peace with each other that's where we should be we're going we want to have harmony we want to have peace we don't want to have the family fighting uh People want to come to church and know that there's a place where people love one another, care for one another. And we need to maintain a Christian attitude toward the weaknesses of the church in verses 14 and 15. If the church is going to be the church that Christ has called us to be, there are going to be people in it that are not going to be super strong, that are growing, uh, but they're not where they should be. And in verse 14, Paul writes, and we urge you brothers, and we could say, and sisters, it's a shorthand for the church, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. And so we have this outworking of this command that Jesus gave that you need to love one another as I have loved you. And we look at this list and it falls through. Warn those who are idle. Now in 2 Thess- Thessalonians, we see that Paul is addressing this again. And some of the people were so caught up in this idea that the Lord is going to return very, very soon that they weren't even working anymore. And he, Paul writes... You yourselves know how often, how you ought to follow our example. This is sec- the second letter, 3-7. We were not idle when we were with you. And in verse 10, even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he should not eat. And in verses 11 and 12, we hear this, among you are idle. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command, urging the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And so if we're of working age, our life is supposed to be uh, productive in doing the things that we can uh, to earn our bread, to share with others. And we're not if we're not doing that, what are we doing? We're doing something else. Uh, Paul in this day said the people were busy buddies. In our day, as I've read about these. Uh, I don't know, 7 million men that uh, are not in the workforce, it could be, uh, what they're talking about doing is uh, all this time spent, screen time, on their telephone or computer or, or on their, uh, I should say, cell phone, their, their computer, their uh, television. That's what they're doing. But we're called to live in a meaningful way Uh, Carrying out our life with whatever gifts, talents God has given us. Paul said, encourage the the timid, or uh, in some translations, encourage the faint-hearted. People who have lack of courage. People that are easily frightened. Remember the parable of the talents? This is what the guy said that he, he kept his talent. He said, well, I was afraid. I knew you were a hard person. Encourage people to serve the Lord. Help the weak, uh, spiritually immature, the, those that are prone to fall into immorality. Don't just criticize them, help them. See if there's some way that you can um, come alongside them. Verse 14 be patient with everyone. Paul said in the love chapter, he said, love, love is patience. Love is patient, love is kind. And so this is. A calling for all church people and if you're going to be in the church very long you're going to need patience to stay with it Paul as he he gives uh, the pastors charge in uh, preaching the word he said that we have to carry out our duties pastors with careful instruction and great patience and I have to tell you being a pastor requires patience, and being a church member requires patience with people, and love is patient. This is Christ's church. Jesus said uh, that uh, we have to forgive, and Paul is reminding us here in verse 15. He said, don't pay back a wrong with a wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Now, Romans 12 has a similar wording here, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Now, that's a natural thing. That's the thing we would expect from people, but if you're a Christian, you can't take that route. You have to ask God for forgiveness, that you would be able to forgive that person. You have to ask the Lord for help with patience, and that uh, you can um, get passes. So as you're looking at this, these various commands, you realize that you're not to think of yourself only. Uh, you're to have the big picture of the good of the church and the privilege you have to be part of it. And you you give your problems to the Lord and you let him take care of it. Be patient with everyone. Make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. So kindness must be your go-to response. This is what people are going to expect of you. If you're a Christian, you're going to be clothed with kindness. So this has to be your go-to response, and it's a response to God's great kindness to you and to me. So we're to give it to other Christians. As Paul said, be kind to each other. Be kind to one another. It's, it's those in the church. But not just those in the church, he said, and to everyone else. So that's a, a virtue we need to practice outside the church also. And there are more Christian virtues. To be joyful always, in verse 16. Be joyful always. I am trying to remember, remember the... Little kid show when in the earlier church service in Strasbourg, I it slipped my mind. But it's Winnie the Pooh, and Winnie the Pooh they have a character Eeyore, and he's always is like the sad sack, you know. And we have Christians that that think that's a good thing to do too. No, it isn't. Be joyful always. Be joyful always and pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, you look at that. Be joyful always. Pray continually. You know, we've been adopted in the Christ family. We, we have this spirit of adoption, which cries, Abba, Father. In other words, we're praying to God, our Father, perfect Father in heaven. And we need to give thanks in all circumstances, now Paul was an example of that. As he talked uh, well about this, we can remember the, his uh, experience of being whipped with Silas, as the missionaries went to Philippi, and they were put in stocks, and, and what did they do? If I were in their place, I would go for the Advil, and they were singing hymns at midnight. And the other prisoners were listening to him. There was an earthquake, and there was a deliverance, and there was a jailer that called out, brothers, uh, what, sh- what shall I do? How-, how can I be saved? And it was because they were able to give thanks at midnight. We come to chapter 4 of, of the letter here to the church, and some of the church membership had died, and Paul encourages the believers with the second coming of Christ. I'm not thankful when a church member dies, Uh, but I'm thankful for the promises of God in the time of sorrow. And so Paul writes, he said, encourage each other with these words, that when Christ comes back, he's gonna bring with him those who have fallen asleep in him. I'm thankful for the fact that Jesus came down from heaven for our salvation and went to the cross to bring us to paradise. And this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It is one of the ways in which the light of Christ shines in this dark world. He tells us not to put out the Spirit's fire. We're going to see at times the Spirit work, and it might, be, might cause us some, a bit of, of discomfort because it will be a change. But we're not to bring a wet blanket and throw it on the Spirit's work. We're to stand back and say, is that God working here? And do what we can to fan into flames. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. In this day, the, the Bible wasn't written as it is. They were dependent on prophecies. But they had to be tested to see if they came from God. Test everything. Hold on to the good. And we might use the same formula here when we hear someone speaking in the church. Avoid every kind of evil. And and Paul closes then with this blessing and a promise. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is again as this church waits for the Lord's coming. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Now, we, we think of this work of sanctification where we're set apart more and more to God. And this sanctifying work comes from God. Uh, The Westminster Shorter Catechism talks about it as a dying to sin, as a living to God. We're enabled more and more to die to sin and live for righteousness. That's that's what it means. And so with each passing Christmas, we want to see that happening. With the ultimate goal, that we'll be blameless at the Lord's coming. How, How can that be? Well, Paul gives this promise the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. And so it doesn't come from us. Uh, the, the idea here that, that uh, this work of sanctification it comes from God. And so we need to appeal to him and ask him to be changing us to be more and more like Christ. The promise is God is faithful. And he is going to make that happen. He will do it. And so as we go through uh, these years, we get older. uh, We should see ourselves more sanctified, more set apart to Christ. And not rely upon instincts in various situations in life or in the church. Because we receive our orders from Christ and we follow them. And without the Lord, we are nothing. Paul said, if I don't have Christian love, I'm nothing. And the message throughout scripture is that God is faithful. God is faithful. Don't ever forget that. And only God can bring about the good changes in our life. Only by his grace will we be blameless at the second coming of his son in glory. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for these instructions given to a church that was very mindful of the second coming of Christ. Help us to be mindful also and to pray with your church. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.